Welcome to The Elephant, given support by the Climkick Alumni Association. I'm Kevin Kaners. Well, it happened. After years of framework negotiations and two weeks of increasingly high stakes and sleep-deprived talks, on Saturday, we got an agreement out of Paris. 195 countries from around the world agreed to a deal that would see nations aim collectively to limit climate change to 1.5 degrees of warming, peak emissions as soon as possible, and commit countries to putting forth every five years new national plans on reducing emissions. So that's the deal in its basics. But on Saturday, as the final frenetic hours of negotiations and text finalizing were underway, over 10,000 activists and members of civil society from around the world gathered near the Arc de Triomphe. Their goal was to push home to leaders how much further is still needed to go and to show that the climate movement isn't going anywhere and will continue pushing for further action. And this is crucial because even before the final agreement came in, it was clear that the targets it contained versus the reality of what governments are currently prepared to do are completely out of step. While the target in the deal is 1.5 degrees, the pledges take us to at least 3 degrees of warming. So we went down to the streets to hear the sounds and meet some of the people who were taking part in the demonstration. And before it got underway, we had the chance to catch up with Bill McKibben and Naomi Klein, whose voices you'll hear first up in this episode. So let's just get to it. Here are some sounds and some people from the D12 demonstration in Paris on Saturday. So, so what exactly are we doing today? Today's a series of reminders to the rest of the world that we're not going to let them just sort of wander away with a few flying flourishes of rhetoric. Uh, this movement gets bigger and stronger all the time, and it's going to push them to respect the red lines that the scientists have drawn. And, and so today there's an actual red line that... Uh, I think there is going to be an actual red line. There's some hundred meter long banner that someone has made up, and it says, keep it in the ground, which is the watchword for the day. I hear that movement has grown quite a bit in the, the last few months. Yeah, no, it's a... Um, everybody's come to understand that we have to keep most carbon underground. That's been maybe the biggest advance of the last year or year and a half or so. But that's become a mainstream idea? That's now the conventional wisdom and that's beginning to work its way through all the assumptions that financial systems make and everything else. Have you uh, have you been to a lot of these uh, cops before this one? I've been to way too many of these cops. And was this one any different? Well we're going to come out of it with an agreement for the first time. It's not a very good agreement but it is we have now have built enough of a movement that these guys can't go back home with nothing like they did from Copenhagen. So that's, you know, it's a, enough of an incentive for us to keep pushing and building bigger movements that push them harder. And so you think we're finally starting to move the needle maybe? I don't know if we're starting to move the needle yet in any kind of real climatic or scientific terms. We're clearly starting to move it uh, politically, but the fossil fuel industry is on the other side of the needle pushing hard all the time, you know, so it's going to be over their unrelenting pressure if we push it at all. I talked to Kevin Anderson uh, from the Tyndall Center and yeah. he was talking about how impossible, you know, two degrees is looking, let alone 1.5, you know, looking at 8 to 10 percent a year cuts, starting immediately almost. So what are your thoughts on, on that, the gap between the think, reality and the goals? I think, it's, I think it's very hard. I mean, one of the problems with having written the first book about all this 26 years ago, whatever, is that I'm forever tempted to say, if only you'd listened to me then, you know. It was a much easier curve back then. So, you know. But 
people and societies do remarkable things when their backs are to the wall. I mean, you know, the day after Pearl Harbor, the U.S. turned over its industrial machine to building tanks and bombs, and as a result, here we are in France speaking French, not German, you know, so. So you need a similar type of mobilization yes, to turn to a sustainable economy? We need an all-out mobilization. We need to go hard. <laughs> and is that what today's about? Well, today, I mean, today, like every day, is about building a bigger movement that pushes harder, you know. You push hard, you get somewhere. Whether you get someplace far enough, I don't know. I mean, the biggest storm ever to hit the Aleutian Islands is crashing into it right now as we speak, breaking the record set last year. You know, the world is screwed up in a big way. I don't know whether we're going to catch up in time or not, but we're going to try. Well, Bill McKibben, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Well, the politicians are still haggling uh, in Le Bourget, but we organized this event because we knew from the start that this agreement would cross red lines, scientific red lines and equity red lines. We know, we know that the targets being brought to the table lead us to a very, very dangerous future. Um, we know that it is not nearly legally binding enough. So people are coming together in grief and, and with resolve, not in despair, I think. I think people, in, in many ways, this is a clarifying moment. Um, our politicians are saying many of the right things about what it takes to keep the planet safe. We're talking about 1.5 degrees, not just 2 degrees. But it's so clear that they are unwilling to take the actions in line with those words. Uh, they're unwilling to stand up to the power of multinational corporations and particularly the fossil fuel companies. So people here are coming together knowing that we are going to have to take them on ourselves, um, change that dynamic, weaken the power of the fossil fuel sector, um, doing it in the streets, doing it with direct action when they try to build deadly new fossil fuel projects, doing it in the market with fossil fuel divestment, um, and doing it in the courts with prosecutions of polluters like Exxon. Do you think uh, so Exxon's going to be the, the new big tobacco in a few years? I think big oil is already the, the new big tobacco, um, but, and I think we're, we're going to see the courts catching up in the next few months. We saw like the target of 1.5 put in. Uh, can you talk about the gap of what the science says needs to be done in order to achieve such a target compared to what countries are actually saying they'll do? So pledging uh, to, to try to keep temperatures below 1.5 or even 2 degrees, what that does is it puts us in an extremely confined carbon budget. And we know, whether it's 1.5 or 2 degrees, that it means that the vast majority of proven fossil fuel reserves have to stay in the ground. We know that there's absolutely no mention of that fact in the negotiated text uh, in any of the drafts, certainly not in the final draft. So we need more things like this? We need a lot more like this. Okay. Now we can thanks so much. Thank you. My name is Dallas Goldtooth, and I'm with the Indigenous Environmental Network. I'm a campaign organizer for that organization. And, and where are you from personally? I'm personally from what they now call Minnesota. I'm Dakota from Dakota Lands in North America. 
it's been an ongoing struggle. You know, the, the fight against extractive development is is a is a process that indigenous people have been fighting in the Americas for over 500 years. And so, um, you know, we like to connect that the, the fight for climate justice is is broader than an ecological crisis. It is a cultural crisis. It is a spiritual crisis for us as indigenous peoples. It's a it's a fight to protect not only Mother Earth but also our relationship to Mother Earth. So it is a critical moment we're seeing because we have relatives their communities are being moved because of rising sea levels. We have uh, people not able to access uh, traditional foods because of the climate is changing. And so it is a critical moment stepping ahead to that in order for us to protect our way of life, we must take action now. Are there any changes or projects happening really close to home for you that uh, you've been fighting? I, I was re up until recently the Keystone XL campaign organizer, which is a, pi a tar sands pipeline that was uh, proposed to travel through across North America. And which um, was, of course, recently uh, axed. Yeah, that's why I say recently. I, I actually no longer have a job on the, under that title, which is a great thing. I think any organizer should work to get themselves out of a job, and that way, that one we accomplished. So, and was that, that going to go through your community or close yeah, by? That, that the Keystone XL pipeline was, was going to pass through my territories, my homeland. I had family within a couple miles of the proposed route. And I just want to make a note that that is the best example in North America, a recent example of people power. When we organize as people, as grassroots people, farmers, ranchers, white, native, non-native, indigenous, we all came together and said we're not, going to, we're not going to accept this to come through our lands and we're going to take a stand. And by doing that, by demonstrating and unifying together, we created this political power that swayed President Obama to make a decision. Because if it wasn't for us, he would have approved that pipeline a long time ago. And so that is, is coordinated effort by grassroots people that made that happen. And that's what we're going to have to see more. My name is Tem Bachawoke. I am from South Africa with Landless People's Movement. I am land and agrarian reform activist. And Landless People's Movement is the member of La Via Campesina. As I speak now, we've got a wheat wave in South Africa. It is, it is a, it was supposed to be rainy season, but it's not as it was supposed to be. People are not cultivating. Uh, livestock are dying. There is a drought which is called El Nino. So we are. That, that is the impact you can see of the climate change because people. It was supposed to be wet, but now it's just hot and there's no rain. Next year, food food prices will skyrocket about 47 percent. So you can see the consequences of climate change and the, when it affects the small-scale farmers. Because when you don't produce food, the food prices go higher. We want to show our solidarity to all small-scale farmers that what we want is this. We want to voice our concern because they state they negotiate on their behalf and they say they're negotiating on behalf of the people. But they, don't, they didn't ask for the people's mandate. So we want to say what we want because the, the, the negotiation is between the governments and the... Um, and the big corporations, the private companies. So it's not about people. It's about business as usual. It's about trade. It's not about uh, climate mitigation. My name's Georgiana Keeble. I've been part of something called Global Migrants for Climate Action. And I work as a storyteller, telling stories about climate change and nature for kids and young people. Human creativity can save us from what's actually happening very, very fast, this state of climate emergency. And this is uh, like a literal 
image of our creativity. Look at all these people dressed up in amazing costumes, finding wonderful, fun and humorous ways to show a direction. And also it's pointing directly at La Défense where a lot of companies have their headquarters who are investing heavily in fossil fuels. So it's kind of making the point that it's not just the politicians who are negotiating at the COP21, but it's also companies and staff have to take responsibility. Alison Clayson and I'm an American but I live in Paris and I have worked on climate change uh, on behalf of the United Nations so I, I'm a writer and editor so I produce publications and information materials for the public about the problems. Well I'm coming as a private citizen that's why I'm here. I live here I'm concerned and uh, every gesture is a positive one. I think that we have to believe that things are going to get better and we're going to be able to continue to negotiate and find adjustments and find some way to see through this to a better future for all of us, to ensure the future for all of us. Never say it's impossible. That could make it impossible. That was some sounds and some people from the D12 protest in Paris on Saturday. And that's all for The Elephant this time. And that basically does it for our live coverage in Paris. Although I did do a number of interviews while in Paris that I didn't get the chance to release during the summit. So look out for those over the coming weeks. And in the new year, we'll have an episode taking a look at the Paris Agreement in more detail. The main tenets of the deal to understand how it unfolded and what it means for climate change and politics. So look out for that in the new year, and as I said, I'll try to have a few interviews up before then. The Elephant is put together by myself, Kevin Kinners, along with Matthias Gutz and Christina Peters, and we're given support by the Climate Cake Alumni Association. I'm Kevin Kinners. See you soon. <laughs>